Amen. Good morning, everyone. You may be seated. What a great day. Beautiful sunshine. This is one of the very, very, very rare moments when, when Frankie McDonald is wrong. <laughs> and if you don't know who that is, just Google it and you will be, you will be, uh, you, you can't help but smile. But yeah, it's good to know that, that we didn't have some sort of a weather bomb this weekend and that we can come together and the sun is shining and it's beautiful. Yes, I celebrate that. I mean, uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, because, because I, I love this weather. The snow makes everything shiny and then the sun comes out. But also it's like, I actually believe that God gave me a message for you this morning and that, that, that I was like just excited to be able to bring it. And I'm like, no, don't cancel. It's like, not that I'm that important, but I just believe that God has a message for us this morning and, that, and that's fantastic. And I, I want you to hear it this morning. So you're here. The sun's shining. I got a message. We got a great combination of things happening already. So this is the final week in our series. And it's a series on Nehemiah where we've walked with Nehemiah through these, through these last few weeks. And um, last week I talked about preparing for what God is building in us and in our city. To be, to be ready, to allow God to, to work things out in our lives. And we talked about prayer and the importance of, you know, beginning and in the middle and, and finishing. Prayer is so important to lay a foundation. We talked about provision, investing in what God is doing and, and, and being aware of what God's put around us to be able to invest in what he's doing. Having a plan, thinking it through, seeking divine strategies because I believe God does that. And people recognizing that we cannot do this alone. Nor are we intended to do it alone. We need one another, and what you bring matters. So those are the, those are the first four Ps, and the next two Ps that I'm going to be able to, to, to explain this morning is proximity and perseverance. So we're going to jump into those. So again, I encourage you to read the story from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah for yourself. Uh, there's so much in there. And if you really want to be studious and you really want to know the context, read Ezra first, and then read Nehemiah, and those two books go together, and there's, such a, there's a lot in there. And so I'm going to try and just pull out some key verses uh, down through it, so I am going to hack this story to pieces, okay? So just know that I'm just going to pull pieces out of it, but to get the full context, you're going need to need to read the whole thing for yourself when you go home. So hopefully that stirs a little bit of, of interest there. So I'm going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2 at verse 5, and I'm going to pull out some key verses and uh, we'll go from there. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. I replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Verse 9 says, when I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival. They were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. I love how pure and, and, and correct the wording is there. It's like, you know, it's like they were displeased that someone, I'm sure that it was much more radical than that. So I arrived in Jerusalem, verse 11. Three days, three days later, skipping down to verse 13, after dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackals, well, over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and the burnt gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but, but my, my mount couldn't get through the, the rubble. So I, I, though it was dark, I, I went up the Kindron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. 
So Nehemiah went through Jerusalem and walked among the ruins. And we read in chapter 3, he challenged the leaders and the nobles and the, and the people of Israel. He challenged them to begin to build. And they said, yes, let's build. And so they began to do that. And we get a list down through chapter 3 of all the different ones who came together and began to build. And I just want to pause there for a second and pray, and then we're going to get into it here. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're building something. We thank you, God, that you've called us to be a part of what you're building. And God, I just pray that as we, as we look at these thoughts of, of proximity and perseverance, Lord God, that they would, they would stir things in our hearts, that they would challenge us, but also that there would be so much encouragement in it. God, that there would be so much purpose behind it. And that, God, your spirit would stir things within us as you're building things in us, in this church, in this city, and beyond, God, because I believe you're at work, and we want to be in step with what you're doing. And so, God, just speak to us this morning, I pray, in Jesus' name. So we've talked about prayer and the importance of that. We've talked about provision and plan and people. So now I want to think about proximity. And you're like, well, that's kind of an odd word. We don't use that one very much. Proximity. If we, if we think about the memoirs that, that Nehemiah wrote starting there, and we, and we look back at that, we know from that that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. Okay, that was his role. He had the king's attention. He was kind of a right-hand man. And God had given him favor with the king. He could have chosen to stay in the palace next to the seat of power in this city of Susa. But he recognized the need to be in Judah, to see it for himself. Nehemiah 2.11 says he arrived in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2.13-15 describes Nehemiah walking amongst the rubble. He was with the people. He was there in person. He was close to the problem. It even describes that it was so bad that it was challenging to get around. The, the devastation, the state of affairs, like where everything was at, was, was a mess. But he was there. Rather than from the comfortable palace, he was there in the midst of it. Now, we recently celebrated Christmas. You're like, how do you jump from there to Christmas? Walk with me. We recently celebrated Christmas. It was a time of celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus was God in the flesh. God with us. Jesus left his throne to be close to the problem, to be among the people, to walk amongst the rubble. Jesus was incarnate. He was close. He took on flesh so that he could do that. He could rub shoulders with us. Now, for us, when we think about that, that there's two things to that. One, God is with us. Like, that's, that's, the, that's important. We recognize that God is with us. But number two, it's also a call to be missional. It's a call to be among the rubble. Nehemiah couldn't rebuild the walls of Jerusalem from the palace in Susa. And we can't change our city from within these four walls. We can't, we can't do it from a distance. Prayer matters. Provision matters. The plan matters, people matter, but there comes a point when we engage in what God is doing, where we get dirty, we walk among the fallen stones of people's lives. We live in a great city here. I love Halifax, I love Dartmouth, I love our city. But there's so much brokenness. The rubble of broken lives is messy and it's challenging and it's everywhere. But we really can't avoid it if we hope to be a part of changing it. It's that sense of being in the middle of it. A year or so ago, Nathan and I had a chance to ride along with, with Scott uh, on a Friday night with Standing in the Gap. 
And it, and it was good for me. It was a bit of a reality check in some ways to walk the streets uh, late at night of Halifax and to be a part of that. It's, it's, it's boots on the ground and it's, it's, it's being among something and sensing it and, and feeling it for yourself and seeing it for yourself and engaging in doing something about it. I believe it's one of the reasons that Evensong is having the impact, impact that it is in, in Dalhousie on campus because it's, it's there, it's among the students. I mean, it's great that Jordan, Pastor Jordan is actually there as a chaplain and, and, and through that, it helps her to be in there. She's amongst the staff, she's amongst the students. She's there, boots on the ground, walking amongst the rubble to bring hope. It's, there's so many things that we can do that, that are around us. Pastor Debbie has recently been able to be join the uh, the school advisory council at, at Oxford School just over here. Again, intentionally engaged in our community where it is. But it's not just standing in the gap. It's not just even song. When we think about it, we all have some connection with someone somewhere that needs to know that there's help to rebuild, that we're there with them, that we can bring hope, that we can walk with people, that we can walk amongst the rubble to bring hope. It's difficult, no question about that. But God makes the impossible possible, which leads me to the next point, the next P, the next of these different series, and that is perseverance. So we've got prayer, we've got provision, we've got a plan, we've got people. We've got this idea of proximity, we're among the people. But then there's a call to perseverance, a call to perseverance. And it's going to take a lot of it. So I want to read a few scriptures here. We're going to run down through a bunch just to highlight some of the things from the story of how Nehemiah gives an example of this. So again, we're jumping back to Nehemiah chapter 2, and I want to read verse 19. Nehemiah 2.19 says, But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked. So they were questioning Nehemiah's motives. Are you in rebellion? They're questioning his motives. And then Nehemiah replied in verse 20, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall but you have no share, legal right, or historical claim to Jerusalem. And again, chapter 3, they begin to build, and they, and they list all the people that, that, that put their hand to the stone and actually put stone on stone to build the wall. And then we jump down to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. They're making progress. Things are changing. You can actually see things starting to come together. And Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah, the, the Ammonite who was, was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked on the top of it. the detractors, those that questioned things. They questioned Israel's ability, and they questioned the value of what they were building. They're like, 
What do they think they're doing? Do they think they can actually accomplish it? And then it's like, well, look what they're doing. What they're doing doesn't even matter. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, At last the wall was completed to half its height and around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. Verse 7, But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So the enemy was making plans to oppose, to confuse, to, to distract the workers and to, to dishearten them. And that's all from the outside. And then it gets even, I was going to say even worse, but verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. And meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down and kill them and end their work. Nehemiah 14, his, his, 4, 14, and his solution, he says, I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the leaders and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and sons and daughters and wives in your homes. Nehemiah 6.1, it's like the opposition continues. Nehemiah 6.1 says, Sembalat, Tobiah, Gashram, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that we had finished rebuilding the wall, though the gaps remained, though we had not set the doors and gates. So Sembalat and, and Geshem sent messages asking to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And so if it's places called Ono, just think, oh no, I'm not going there, all right? But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop? This is so good. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Verse 9 says, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Perseverance, perseverance, pushing through, refusing to quit. So when we think about this series, when we've explored what Nehemiah was doing, as we pulled it apart, we're, we're talking about building something for God, or maybe better put, God building something through us. So this is like God's work, right? We can consider this a calling. This is like, this is, this is something that's important. This is God's agenda having happened, right? So God is in it. It's by his design. But just because you're building something for God doesn't mean there won't be opposition. In fact, it practically guarantees it. Don't expect everyone to like it when you're walking in obedience. Faith attracts displeasure. Faith attracts displeasure. Sambalat and Tobiah, they came against the rebuilding efforts. They came with threats and accusations and distractions to get, get the builders off course. They, they questioned their motives. They questioned their ability 
They questioned the value of what they were building. They instilled fear and confusion. I would argue it's not so different today. We believe God is building something great, something that matters, something that makes a difference in our city, something that makes a difference to us, something worthy, something of the calling of God. For Nehemiah, the focus was the wall, and the opposition was Samballat and Tobiah. It was, that was the story. It was a historical event. That's what happened. But God was with them. For us, it's building the church. It's about people. And the opposition, I would argue, is predominantly spiritual. We live in a New Testament age where things have shifted. Ephesians 6, chapter 12 describes it like this. Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says, guys, you got to get this right. You got to get your focus in the right place at times. You got to see what's happening behind the scenes. He says, for our struggle, listen, our struggle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Like, that's not to sound super spiritual and spooky and, and making everything weird. It's just recognizing that sometimes and many times there are forces at work behind the scenes that are invisible to our eyes, but actually manifesting and showing themselves through different things in opposition. And I would also argue that through this, the battlefield is predominantly between our ears. It's in our minds. It's in our hearts. The battlefield is not so much as it was then, they were moving stones. They were trying to build a wall to protect themselves with actual people with swords and spears. In our world, we're coming at it from a bit of a different, different perspective because I believe the battlefield is in our minds and our hearts. I mean, the devil is, is many times referred to as the accuser. The accuser. That's how he's described in Scripture. Now, the hardest part for me sometimes personally with that is that his voice in my head often sounds an awful lot like mine. You know what I'm saying? You ever get that? Like you're trying to do something, you're stepping out in faith, you're believing, you've heard God, and you're moving forward, and, and, and the mind games become start to happen. The, the battle begins in your head or in your heart, and you start to either doubt or question, and there's, there's so much going on. You know, you're, you're at it, you're working, you're leaning in, and, and you're putting things together, and, and one of the stones in the wall that you're building falls out and lands on your foot, and you're, and you're thinking, like, what am I thinking here? What am I doing? This wall won't stand, and the voice in your head starts to question what you're doing, or the voice in your head questions your motives. Like, who do you think you are? You think you're actually qualified to do this, or, or you think you're good enough to do this, or, like, well, why, what may, you know, who died and left you God's gift to humanity? And the motives start to get questions, or, or you get tired, and you start to think, this is impossible. This can never happen. But the truth is, you've begun something, and, and the wall is actually already at half its height, which is a miracle in and of itself. And we get distracted from that, and we think there's so much more to do. It'll never get done. It'll get done. It's just not done yet. The opposition begins to make us think we must have gotten it wrong somehow. When in actuality, it proves that we are right on track. Yeah. 
if that's you here this morning, if you're experiencing some kind of pushback as you lean into what God is building, let me just quote Nehemiah over your situation. Verse 14, he says, Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. I said, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Don't be afraid. Remember, God is with you and press on. Don't let, the, don't let it distract you and don't lose focus. In the midst of building something, something worthwhile, something valuable, we can get discouraged. We can, we can get tired we can, the voices in our heads can, can begin to, to, to really distract us from what God is doing. And it's so important that we stay focused. I don't think that there has ever been a time when a person or group of people have attempted something great for God or for the kingdom of God where they didn't consider giving up at some point. I don't think it's ever happened. And if it's not bigger than us, if it's not bigger than something we can accomplish ourselves, it's probably not God. That's not, to that's not to detract from doing good things. I'm not saying that. But when we get to that point where this is like, if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't move in this, this is so beyond me, this is so much bigger than what I can accomplish on my own, that's where faith comes in, and that's where we recognize that there's something going on that's bigger than us. What separates those from accomplishing and those that don't, in many cases, is a gut-level determination to not give up. you got to dig deep for that sometimes. Ask the team to come back at this time. One of the reasons why I'm, I'm kind of digging into this is because you know, we've looked at Nehemiah, we've talked about building something great for God, and we talked about all these different pieces that you put together. And those pieces are all important, but we, we've got to recognize that, that there's a, a, um, there is opposition to what we want to do. That it's like, just because we're in the center of God's will doesn't mean we're not in a storm, or doesn't mean that there won't be challenges, or there won't be times that we want to give up. It's to recognize that there's so much at work. And in chapter 6, when Sam Bellet and his crew were trying to get Nehemiah off course, he said, I'm engaged in a very great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? See, we must be so careful when we're in the midst of it and the opposition comes and we're fighting different things and there's different pieces that haven't come together or there's this, there's this controversy over here or there's this, this challenge and there's this conflict over here and there's all these things happening around us that we have to be careful not to stop partnering with what God is building and get so distracted and so, so focused on these other things that we stop building. There's a, there's a temptation sometimes to get caught up in the peripherals when God's saying, no, I'm building something here. Let's work together. For Nehemiah, it was the wall. And he stayed focused on the wall. He had people accusing him of stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, th that's not true. And he went back to work. He addressed it. Like they were having, they had people coming against them with, with armies. And there was a threat. And he said, okay, well, we'll put some protection up there. And then they went back to building. If they had laid down the trowel and picked up the sword and never picked the trowel up again, the wall wouldn't have got built. There's an aspect to this. It's like we've got to realize what God is building. 
partner with what he's building, deal with the stuff, and keep focused and keep building. Let's be prepared to pray, to provide, to plan, to be in proximity, and to persevere for the sake of the cause, to fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's, let's remember what God is building. He's building his church. It's a people for his glory, that they might proclaim the goodness of God. His church is not a vacation resort for Christians. It's a hospital for the broken. It's not a museum of religion. It's a training center for the called. It's not a Christian country club. It's a family for the lonely and a source of refuge for the troubled. And it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's advancing for his glory. And the gates of hell will not overcome what God is building. Let's stand together as a, as a sign of solidarity, of a sign of, of even commitment. I, I want to encourage you this morning. We're gonna, I want us to, to pray just before we go back into worship. Guys, we're called to something here this morning. We're called to something great. We're, we're called to build what God is building and, and we come together and we, we've all got our issues. We've all got our rubble. We've all got things that have fallen apart. And yet when we come together and we, and we, we, we unify around the common cause of what God is building in our city, we can lay aside those things, so to speak, and, and focus on what he's doing. And this morning, I just want to pray over you and encourage you. But I want us to also take a moment and just pray for one another or just pray in, in where you're standing with this sense of, God, I want to be in this. God, help me in the midst of this. God, help us to do what you've called us to do. God, I thank you, Lord, that you've called us, that you've brought us to this point. God, that you're building something in us. God, I believe that what you're building is magnificent. It's powerful. It's, it's of God. It's, 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 it's Lord, your church. It's, it's what you came for. It's what you're building. And God, your heart is for lost people. And Lord, to see the, the city transformed, to see this region transformed, to see our world transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. You call us to be carriers of your gospel, to be, to be ambassadors for your glory. Your kingdom come here in us as it is in heaven, God. And, and, and Lord, as, as exciting as that is, it scares us to death too. God, I just pray for courage courage to, to be among the rubble, courage to, to be in proximity to the issues, Lord, courage and strength to stand side by side with the broken and say, we're here to help. Let's rebuild. God is at work. God, we need your strength. We need your direction. We need your courage. We need your, your, your strategy, your provision. We need all those things. God, come and help us. And God, give us the strength to persevere. God, that we would not shrink back, that when we're tired, we'd get a rest. Lord, that we'd stand next to one another, that we'd be committed to this, committed to you, God, committed to the cause and committed to one another, that we would push through, that we would lean in, that we would take a hit, but keep, keep going. Lord, when we've fallen, help us up. Bring us healing. God, we commit to the journey. And God, we just pray that you will transform us and those that you've called us to reach in Jesus' name. 
God, have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.